3: This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Police found 27 corpses, Australia's worst serial killer. You know, I didn't want to get in the car, I oh, yeah, With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and
4: welcome to Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Amanda Howard, the serial killer whisperer, is with us. Hello, Amanda.
0: Robert, I love seeing you on camera each week, and I love our new backgrounds. They are amazing. Ah uh, yes, although
4: uh, Amanda, who switches the show, the other Amanda in my life, uh, my wife doesn't <laughs> like the new background. Says mine's too busy. So we'll see how we go. We'll get the we'll get the public to vote.
0: Yeah, I think I, I like yours better than mine, but um, mm. I just like a more flowing blood sort of river compared to the sort of droplets I'm getting. <laughs> <That's all. laughs> I want more blood. <laughs> You've got like a swooshy,
4: bloody background. Uh, maybe the backgrounds still need a bit of work. We're in the early days of our video <laughs> podcast, but uh, we're, it's an evolving situation. Uh, Amanda, I love it, love it. If you do want to join us for the video podcast, just go to mwm.uscreen.io. There you can subscribe monthly, pay per episode, or you can go to our Patreon page, and if you join the $25 tier, you get the video streams in as part of that uh, tier. Amanda, I'm very excited about today's psychological profile because it's celebrity stalkers.
0: I know, and this is actually a request straight from you, Robert. After after we did that new idea um, article a couple of weeks ago, so I think it's amazing to look at a different sort of killer. So it's um, a totally different ball game, and I had to sort of get into a totally different mindset to actually get into these uh, people's minds so um it's been a great little um sort of stretch of 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 my skills actually
4: (laughs) oh good well uh more of it i say because it's it's that interesting of celebrity and uh you know how people associate themselves with celebrity and how it impacts their life and the strange thoughts they get this is fascinating is what i'm trying to say in a rambling way
0: (laughs) it is and and it's so interesting because as you said there there's these different facets, but there's also uh, a different facet of control and I'm, I'll stop now because I'm ready to get into it. We've got plenty to go before we get there.
4: We do indeed. That's coming up shortly in this edition of Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. In the meantime, let's get into the news items of the week. And police in Little Rock, Arkansas, are searching for a suspected serial killer who has been tied to at least four seemingly random knife attacks, three of which resulted in the victim's deaths. The unnamed suspect is being sought in connection with violent incidents that took place between August 2020 and April 2021 in Little Rock's Midtown area. The most recent attack, resulting in a fatality, took place just two and a half weeks ago. The agency on Thursday released surveillance video showing the identified suspect pacing back and forth on a sidewalk at night. Amanda, tell me about the victims and the way they were killed
0: uh we've set me on a deep dive here Robert so uh what we have is uh we have victims between 40 and 62 so they're all outside that midlife range um and most of them have been killed between 2 and 4 a.m whilst they've been out on the street so our suspect that we have here is actually sort of known in the area so that's why the police have have released this footage because they're pretty sure that someone knows who this person is if you actually see where these people were either attacked or killed um it's almost a straight line straight through um, the uh, Midtown area, so um, middle-aged people, Most of them are white. One of them I can't confirm, but I'm assuming that the fourth person is white. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're out and about early. So um, the suspect they're saying could possibly be a black man, but I think with uh, hoodies and stuff like that, that that we've seen in some of the footage, I don't think they're going to confirm that just yet. So um, people who are listening in Arkansas, keep an eye out, because, um, you know, we've had four victims and three have been killed in eight months. Um, It's nice to actually see police actually say it's a serial killer. Yeah. So, I mean, it's taken four It's taken four victims, obviously, but um, it's good to see that it's now about the cat and mouse game. So this is the part I love when they're honing in because they know they've actually had 50 tips in the last two days and people are forwarding their own um, cameras, uh, mm. surveillance systems and things like that. Just So someone's going to pick up a better shot, I'm sure, because, I'm, I mean, we know that we can take a photo of Saturn and it looks pretty good. Someone has to have a better surveillance camera out there to get these better images
4: well this is the thing i was going to ask you and apologies for those listening on the audio feed Um, this is a visual part but can we have a look at those cctv pictures again please amanda because i wonder how good how relevant is this you know we look at these pictures you can't really tell um any make out any distinguishing details about the man it's interesting that they've been able to point out that it is him you know it's not like crime dramas where you can just hit the enhance button so (laughs) it's good that they've released it but how does that help police does it just prompt other people to come forward
0: yeah, I think that they're, they're now sort of pinpointing areas, they're pinpointing evenings. And so um, they've been able to go through several people's um, s- s- surveillance films and, and find what they have here. I mean, it's not like it's it's not like the Jack the Ripper scenes where there's 500 people on, on, on the street at the same time. It's unlikely that there is this one person who's been seen in at least two scenes um, walking around and looks similar. Now, they said it's a man with a slim build, but in one of those um, films that we just watched he actually looks a bit stocky so again you know that's my interpretation compared to someone else's so um it's it's going to be interesting and you've sent me on a deep dive i've just been through a whole stack of news reports so um this is one that is basically developing i think so this could be one that we're actually going to follow in real time like like we did with the um todd Colehep case
4: oh okay well that that was fascinating the way it, uh evolved week after weekend possibly a future episode of monsters who murder
0: Yeah, well, hopefully we get him before he has any more victims, but um, three's enough to call him a serial killer.
4: Absolutely. All right, let's move on. And an update now on a story we brought you last week on the mother of three who was set alight and killed allegedly by her estranged husband. Police allege Brian Earl Johnson poured petrol on 27-year-old Kelly Wilkinson and set her alight at her Arundel property on April 20. She died of horrific burns. Now, police claim Johnson jumped into a pool to extinguish flames that spread to his body as the mother of three burned to death. Their three children, all aged under nine, were at the property at the time but weren't injured. Amanda, I never really understand how a partner can betray someone they've loved like
3: this
0: uh there is so many facets to this so um and the fact that he saved his own life while while she was burning it just i mean it's just abhorrent um but it's it's about control and this is actually something that we're going to see in this episode is how these people um believe they have ownership so it's it's beyond like i want you to do this this and this it's like i'm telling you you are to do this this and this and so this is what this poor woman and and her children have allegedly been been raised in and um It's just horrific to think that these children saw this attack. That, um, that uh, it's, I'm sorry, I'm so angry. Um, it's, it's an escalation. Uh, these people don't start here. Th- this isn't just a surprise attack. This is likely, uh, w- with cases like this, and ob- obviously th- this case is still being investigated, but when you have cases of uh, domestic murder, it's not where things start. It's where things end, obviously. But um, it's, it's usually a culmination. So it starts off with, oh, they just want to know where you are. And then it's, um, well, call me when you get there, call me in half an hour, take a photo of your surroundings, um, you know, I'll ring you in ten seconds, and you have you have to answer me on on the second call. And it's things like this that just sort of um, develop and and continue to. Uh envelop until they get to actual homicide and it's just horrifying that um there seems to be an epidemic especially in this country be, be, because this is where we have the data from and um you know we're losing one two three women a, a week at some points because uh, there seems to be no support out there um we hear many of them get abos they move houses and and they're still attacked and and caught up in these sorts of things so um you know the the perpetrator often calls this love they say you know but i would oh. do anything for you and this is this is their warp sense of thinking and hopefully this episode will bring a little bit more understanding not not a agreeable to but just just how these sorts of minds think yeah
4: and look I have to say the reason I laughed earlier was when you say they need to answer by the second ring I seriously thought of my wife who never answers her phone at all so I would definitely not work in this scenario (laughs) (laughs) Um, but on a serious matter it is disturbing this lady called the police so many times, made so many domestic violence reports, it all led to nothing being done and this woman being killed. And this is where we need to change how we respond to domestic violence.
0: It is, and, and there is such a hurdle to actually get ABOs and things like that. Um, I've. There's details I, I could go into, but I'll, I'll keep this generalised about most cases. Um, the, the, if, if you call the police and say, you know, my, my husband is attacking me, they go, well, is there any weapons in, in the house? And they're like...
4: Everything's a How weapon, about the knife?
0: How, how about his fists? Yeah, you know, throw the TV. I mean, there is so many different things. Just because there's a gun, not a gun in, in the house, doesn't mean that there's no other issues that, that come. I mean, fists do a lot of horrible, horrible damage. So Mm. um, it's just you get these weird questions and police turn up and they just sort of, oh, we'll talk to the man, we'll talk to the woman. There's two sides of the story. And that's how they play this. They they don't see that the... The victim is a victim and the other person is a perpetrator and this happens in same-sex marriages this happens in heterosexual marriages this happens in all different types of relationships it's not just male female husband and wife and uh, these these are areas of um, concern that aren't being addressed and um, (laughs) I want to go into some detail that I can't but um, that there are People out there that are trying to create working parties to actually say more needs to be done. People Mm. are seeing that um, a woman is taken to 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 hospital with injuries from domestic violence, and she's uh, wanting to kill herself. So then she's instantly put into the mental health hard basket and um ignored. And so the fact that she is suicidal because of what she's been dealing with um is totally ignored. Rather than saying this woman is unsafe to go home because she'd rather die than get beaten again. So, I mean, it, it's it's a very hard topic to do, but I'm sure that it's one that we will address again and again.
4: Absolutely, unfortunately. All right, moving on. And the remains of an unidentified body found on Adelaide's Summerton Beach in 1948 will be exhumed by police in the hope that DNA samples could solve the case that has baffled detectives for more than seven decades. The case has sparked theories about who he was, including speculation he was a Cold War spy or a jilted lover, and that he could have been poisoned. A police investigation and coronial inquest left the matter unresolved, with hundreds of candidates being identified and then ruled out over the years. The case is particularly mystifying because of the number of clues linked to it, including a suitcase, items of clothing with the tags removed, incoherent writing, believed to be code, the poetry book of Robiat of Omar Kahan, and a torn scrap of paper with the Persian words Tamad Shrad meaning it is finished. Amanda, why do so many people still care about a mystery from over seven decades ago?
0: Well, I mean, we're still chasing Jack the Ripper from 200 decades ago. 200 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, one of my best days of, of my recent life was actually standing on, on Somerton Beach, exactly where he was found, and um, getting out the photos I have and going through the evidence I had. And it was just a mystical moment to have. And I've gone and seen his um, his uh, gravestone and which is very much getting uh, graffitied and and destroyed people are taking some of the pieces off but we have a man who has no identification and uh, there was nothing and it was only that later someone found this little piece of paper and then someone else found a book and said that this is the book that that torn page come out of and then in that book there was this code that was scribbled out and rewritten because it was written wrong and wow. there is a um uh, there, yeah and there's more there's more and there and, and there is a a death mask made of him that um has actually been uh placed against the photo and proven to be it actually might not be of him so there's all these conspiracies and as you said there's the the cold war spy and all of this stuff this is this is a case it is going to be on cold case unless they solve it before we get there <laughs> but um, it's Rob just is going it's, to have
4: it's... his day with this one <laughs>
0: I think you need to, I really do, because this is an amazing case. And the fact that he was on the beach for quite some time and many people saw him before anyone sort of went up and sort of kicked him and said, are you okay, mate? And he literally had a cigarette sort of, it had fallen out of his mouth and and onto his jacket and it was still, like, not completely smoked. So that's how fresh he was when they found him. And there was no marks of injury. Every, everyone assumed it was a drunk guy on the beach in, in a full suit. Um. Oh, yep. Yeah. I will, I will calm down now, but this is a fascinating case. And when um, Mel from the group sent this to me, I instantly sent it to you saying, yes. definitely this week's news. <laughs> so all right, well, um, we're going I'm to all over this it.
4: One Judge Rob <laughs> is getting itchy now to know more details and cast his verdict. Oh, there's so much. Yeah. Well, another one you'll be happy about: a brand new series of the TV show Dexter is in the works. The new series is set ten years after the last episode from the original series, which aired from 2008 to 2013. A brand new trailer has been released, which shows the main character for the first time.
1: Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad but I'm
4: just a soul whose intentions are good
3: Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood
4: <laughs> I do have to say, I love the muffled moans in the background of someone who's obviously got tied up. Um mean a lot of true crime fans love this show and I know you're a big fan.
0: I am a huge fan, and now watching it just then, I've now seen it 712 times, so, <laughs> <laughs> and I've shared it to the group just a couple of times as well. I'm not at all excited. No, um, this is fantastic. I think people are looking for a, a redemption for Dexter. A lot of people didn't like the basically the second half of the last season. Though I loved the actual ending with the um, the silencing of his um, of his passenger. I can't think of the full word that they use, but um, uh he which which he is he describes as like his his um his persona as a serial killer so um the fact that we're actually going back to that um but that uh, that passenger is actually silent still so it's interesting for that but then to see that drawback and there's the guy with the glad wrap on the table and then that cute little smile and and the eyebrows Yeah, i don't think there is anyone who Liked desk star who isn't sort of all over this and a couple of people have now watched the show and started to watch it and they're hooked as well because it's definitely it's one of those shows it's 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 realistic because it's brutal and graphic but it doesn't glorify it. I mean, there is some seasons, some episodes that they actually do. There's a whole one where he has sex with one of the people that was gonna be a victim and all this sort of stuff that does happen. But it's just interesting. And there's a couple of serial killers that appear through various seasons that are just um, an incredible sort of study in psychopathy from very different angles. So um, yeah, just a little bit excited.
4: I, um, I used to love Dexter for the first, I don't know, about three series, and then it lost me. When Deb found (laughs) out who he was, I just thought, uh, okay. But I always thought the perfect closer to that show would have been him getting caught, because we know serial killers generally get caught. And so if he had been caught... Then the revelation, his sister found out who he was and all the people he worked with. And and it becomes a bigger journey of the people around him and how they deal with the fact they were working, living, loving a serial killer. I think there's a lot more they could have done with the show. I might take a look at this new series. We'll see.
0: Oh, I'll be watching it. There's not a shadow of a doubt there.
4: Indeed, I know that's true. All right, don't forget, if you want to watch us in the flesh via video, you can go to mwm.uscreen.io and there you can get full access to all the videos we're making. Every episode of Monsters Who Murder from this point onwards will be a video production. You can also subscribe to us through Patreon and get a whole load of other benefits, including video calls, uh, Bonus episodes, early episodes—we look after a whole suite of bonuses depending on your um, budget over at Patreon.com/slash/MWMConfessions. All right, that's enough of the plugs. In a moment, our psychological profile as we look at some celebrity stalkers. This week, something a bit different. A terrifying aspect of life in the public eye is sometimes the fans you get. Most are just happy to meet you. But for others, the obsession can be frightening, and even deadly. This week we are examining the minds of celebrity stalkers and in particular, those that murder the objects of their desires, or in some cases, carry out acts that are just as terrifying. Now Amanda, one that most would be familiar with is Mark David Chapman, who murdered John Lennon. Some call it the day the music died. For most, the murder of the music legend changed the shape of music forever. Can you take us through those final moments?
0: Yeah, well it was uh, December 8, 1980 and uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono had left earlier in the day to go to his studios. They'd spent the day recording, but before they left they actually signed a couple of albums and uh, bits and pieces for several fans that were hanging around, including Chapman, and there was actually a photo taken of him with uh, John Lennon that afternoon. So later that evening uh, when Lennon and, and uh, Yoko Ono came back. Um, they were actually sort of heading towards the Dakota Hotel um, archway, and uh, Chapman sort of raised his gun and shot uh, John Lennon five times. So, the the music legend dropped um, and was dead, and uh, Chapman just then sort of went and sat on the on on the curb and just waited and read his book, The Catcher in the Rye. So um, he had no plans to kill anyone else. He didn't try and flee. He just sat there calmly and waited for the police to arrive.
4: Okay. well, let's start by looking at how news broke of Lennon's murder.
3: Witnesses told police Lennon was shot near the door to his apartment building as he and Yoko Ono returned from a recording studio.
1: I saw John and Yoko get out of the the scene. They walked into the gate and... Oh, God. let me just, let me take your time. And then I heard four four or five shots. They were air shattering. <laughs> they were air shattering. They heard Yoko, they heard, heard a woman screaming. It was Yoko. She was screaming, help me.
3: Lennon's building is home for many celebrities. Strangers waiting for a glimpse of some resident are not uncommon. The man accused of shooting Lennon dropped his gun afterward and waited for police to arrive. A detective who questioned him at a nearby police station said he is Mark Chapman, a 25-year-old Hawaiian who has been in New York 1 week. He, Mr. Chapman, has been about the Dakota for the last several days. He was there on Saturday asking about Mr. Lennon. He was there on Sunday asking about Mr. Lennon and he was there again this afternoon when Mr. Lennon and his wife left for a recording session this individual uh, Mr. Chapman came up behind him and called to him Mr. Lennon as he arrived at that doorway and then in a combat stance he fired, he emptied the Charter Arms 38 caliber gun that he had with him and uh, shot John Lennon John At the hospital where Lennon was taken, young people prayed. If he's not dead, John Lennon can't be dead. <laughs> Mark Chapman, charged with the murder of John Lennon, will be arraigned later this morning. Stephen Fraser, NBC News, New York.
4: Wow, Amanda. Uh, Look, we were both young when this occurred, though it is still something that changed everyone's life. In 1992, Barbara Walters interviewed Mark Chapman for ABC America. And today we're going to go through that interview, analyse the killer and his mind as he talks about the day he murdered John Lennon. Do you have any memories of that day? I feel like I was too young.
0: Oh I do I remember um, John Lennon dying and Elvis too which I think was about a year or two maybe three before Um, I have a thing for weird things like this maybe that's why I do this Um, I can just remember being in my parents bedroom and their alarm clock on on the bedside table was actually going off and talking about and how shocked they were so um, it's I mean We were about six or seven, so um, it's it's something that I do remember. My my parents were huge Beatles fans, so I think that it was sort of someone I knew because I knew of his voice. I couldn't juxtapose what Lennon looked like there with what I sort of saw of him as part of the Beatles, Um, but I I I understood very quickly that uh, that was John Lennon who died.
4: All right. I've just talked about this interview with Barbara Walters for ABC America. Let's have a look at the first part of that interview.
1: It was a very long day. So I'm sitting there. It's dark. And this limo pulls up. And John got out. And he came up the pathway. And he looked at me. I heard this voice. Not an audible voice, but an inaudible voice saying over and over, do it, do it, do it, do it.
4: guess that was me inside. Amanda, where do we begin with this?
0: what's well, so fascinating because it is so different to what we normally see and though he's speaking in a very calm way and almost similar to what uh, McDaniel did in the last two episodes it, this has drama to it He's being quite dramatic he's um saying things like oh it it wasn't an audible voice you know rather than saying oh the voices in my head told me to kill him he's 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 making it pressured and he's sort of uh making sure his his words are timed well and I am um, I mean the music didn't hurt at all but it's, it's just so dramatic and he's he's literally licking his lips um because he's nervous about talking about this but he knows this is his moment he is now getting what he has expected all of this time because yes he's gone through the court case and he was photographed and perp walked and all of that stuff but now he's sitting there doing you know like a barbara walters show um and he's the star of the show now so it, this is what he's been waiting for and uh there's just that touch of dramatics
4: and is that what it was all about for him the fame
0: yes it was he wanted to be as big as John Lennon and the only way to do that is to be the killer of John Lennon so uh there is so many bits and pieces that are in, in, intertwined in this that will actually go through a bit further but it's just amazing how um these people have this um Power and ownership—you know—where you talk about serial killers having power and, and control—and it's different to what we're seeing here because this is about um, ownership. So this is, you know, I—I I decide if you live or die serial killers do but it's different it's um to describe it as a stalker it's about um you know I think I can do something better for you I think I can create this this persona I mean he's he's up there now with dead legends and you know he can he can do no wrong though I mean a lot of people have have things to say about John Lennon these days but um it, it was about killing the the biggest um music icon of all time and it just happened to be Lennon so it wasn't about Lennon himself but about who the biggest person was and who he had access to. So these people often sort of go from uh, possible victim to possible victim until they find that person that they realise is going to be the one that creates everything that they want.
4: Well he then continues with how he did it. And I pulled the 38 revolver out of my pocket. I went into
1: what's called a combat stance and I
4: fired at his back, five steady shot. So Amanda, this really is so different to the confessions we hear from other killers, isn't it?
0: It is because as I say, they, they just give you the facts. Yeah, I walked over there, I shot that one. Yeah, I walked over there, I shot that one. And, and that's what they do. I mean, think of hep which was the most complete and utter um, confession that we got that was raw and live, not like the btk that was scripted and and went through so we're now seeing the opposite side of this of someone who is um in charge of their fantasies and going through them you know i took this Mm -hmm. stance and i held my hands like this this is about the moment you know and he needs everyone to be listening to every single word he says because he's actually explaining how he was the person who did this he was the killer and it's this big dramatic moment and just the way that he just holds his hands is like you know that um this this is the fulfillment of that fantasy so it's not the killing it's all of this that comes afterwards
4: right okay well when Barbara Walters asked him why he did it his response is just as terrifying
1: Why did you kill John Lennon? I thought by killing him, I would acquire his fame.
4: Well, that is what you were saying, Amanda, that uh, (laughs) he would get the fame, but surely there are better ways to become famous
0: well i mean most people have have to work for it people don't have fame thrust upon them you know so um but this goes back to biblical times you know cain and abel samson and delilah all of these sorts of 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 stories that we've told that um there is a victor over over a victim and so he knows that this is what he he needs to do um you know and it's strange that i'm actually using biblical terms but you know (laughs) they do that you know but but these people do Sorts of things like this, um, because someone needs to pay their price for them to become famous. I mean, these days we see people on social media and Big Brothers and all that sort of stuff. All those shows that sort of people use that as as their platform. Well, at one point, killing someone was someone else's platform. I mean, uh, the Smiths actually had a song saying um, that the news the news world hands them stardom. And uh, sorry, it's a favourite song of mine, and now it's stuck in my head. That's but that- it's just amazing. That um, that this is their warped sense of satisfaction. That I wanted to be famous, so well, I've got to kill someone. Mm. You know, it's it's so so way away from, from what most of us would ever consider. Like, you know, um, you know, oh, I want to be famous. Well, I could actually go and get a skill or I could write a bestseller, please buy my book, um, or I can go and kill someone. I mean, this is what they do. And it just, it, it, it compels them forward. And all of these people in this, in this episode today had the same thoughts. And it's not about, you know, oh, John Lennon did the wrong thing or I didn't like his music. This is out of love, Mm. you know, and we have to remember that.
4: Yeah, he wanted that fame, but he didn't get to enjoy that fame because he was hidden away
0: well that's the way that you make it harder for him you know it it took what 12 years but before they sort of put him in front of barbara walters so it's amazing that um he was the most reviled person on on earth and he wasn't expecting that he he expected some sort of hero worship and it, it just didn't come you know but this is this is kind of where all of those um interviews began you know after this we we got gacy and we got dharma and we got all these other people this was how it started was was with son of sam and mark chapman just uh, going on these shows and they realized that it was fodder and everyone ate it up i mean we're still in in a true crime um phase so it's just amazing that this is sort of the the second wave that what Mm -hmm. we had back then that's why we're now seeing all of these docos on them and this is what they want they want the documentaries on them they want write the books they want all the storylines and the headlines and everything and this is how they thought to do it
4: indeed it's interesting he didn't speak but then he did agree to doing interviews and his first was with larry king when he used to have his cnn show when asked why he was ready to speak this is how he responded
1: well, I'm I'm well now. I've had a number of years of of wellness. I feel good. There's always been things inside of me that I wanted to to get out to tell people why I did what I did.
4: Hallelujah! Praise the Lord.
0: He's good now. Good for him, Amanda. Let him out. He's good exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I made it. That simple. I mean, really, this this is, is how they explain it, you know. There's uh, no reason that he would go and kill some, someone again. He's killed John Lennon. So, okay, I got that out of my system. Now I'll go and do golf or something and become famous that way. Like, <laughs> it's just crazy that, that when you're asked why you're going to talk and it's, oh, because I'm good, you know, like... It just shows how, how warped their that their sense of right and wrong is. You know, he says, "Well, I'm over that. You know, I've moved on. So everyone else should. You know." But but, but was he actually the, well? No, <laughs> he had a long way to go. But I don't think he's well yet. But um, it's just crazy that he he, he thinks it it was like a passing phase. You know, like right. I like to do cults and stuff. You know, it's it's not, it's not a passing phase when you murder someone.
4: OK. Well, in this next clip, Chapman is talking about Jack Jones. Now, this is the writer of the book, Let Me Take You Down, Inside the Mind of Mark David Chapman, The Man Who Killed John Lennon, and why Chapman allowed the book to be published.
1: I wanted to do a statement, just a one paragraph, simple, cut and dry statement. And... He thought about that and said, Mark, we're gonna have to talk a little bit about this. So I went back up to my cell and I prayed. And uh, that's what I usually do when I have to make a pretty tough decision, i pray about it. And I came back down
4: the next day and
1: and I said, look, let's go with whatever you wanna do.
4: Amanda, we are states apart and I can hear the scoffing already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes, he's got to let everyone know he's a good Christian boy. So he's fine now because he's found God. What I would like to see is have all of these Christians removed from the prisons that go in each day and and spend time talking about the good book and um, just see how many of these convert or find God without all these people as their only distraction each day allowed them to, to think that Jesus forgives. I mean, um, do you really want to go to the place that Mark David Chapman is?
4: <laughs> well, well, that's a whole different argument. But look, Larry King Idiots. goes on to ask a very interesting two-part question.
1: Uh, by the way, would you have killed someone else, do you think? Would Mark David have done that if it weren't Lennon? The Secret Service asked me, if, if, if Lennon would had would unfortunately died a few days prior, say in an automobile accident, would you have stalked someone else? I, I can't answer that question. I don't know. I was so bonded with John Lennon at that point. What I told them is I'd probably be crushed. And, and at that point, I, I don't know what I would have done.
4: Now, this is fascinating, Amanda, the idea that it had to be Lenin.
0: Well, all that it didn't have to be. So, you know, he, he's saying if he was killed that he was he would be crushed, that he couldn't have done it. So, I mean, it's like if the guy had gone on a plane, he probably would have jumped on the same plane. So once they sort of lock and load, that's it. They they have this sort of beeline sight and, and they have no plans to look at anyone else because they're, they're fixed and that is now part of the plan of who they've decided to do. And actually the next case that we're, we're going to do shows where they flip-flop between uh, victims how how it can change the outcome as well but he was definite he was positive that he needed to kill John Lennon and no one else and the strange part is that he actually had a similar-looking wife to what John Lennon did he was doing a whole whole stack of stuff around this that sort of created his own sort of world that that sort of matched up with what John Lennon was doing
4: Gotcha. Okay, well, King then goes on to ask if he felt remorse. You have to have
1: daily regrets. I have regrets. I'm sorry for what I did. I realise now that I, I really ended a man's life then he was an album cover to me. He didn't exist, even when I met him earlier that day when he signed the album for me, which he did very graciously. And he was not a phony, by the way. He was uh, very patient and he was very cordial. And he asked me if there was anything else. So if that didn't register, and I had also met his son that day, if that didn't register that he was a human being, then I wasn't perceiving him as such. I just saw him as a a two-dimensional celebrity with no real feelings.
4: Now, that's amazing, isn't it? He says, I murdered... He didn't say, sorry, I murdered John Lennon. He says, I'm sorry, bit of a pause, for what I did. But then didn't really equate Lennon with being a human being
0: yeah I mean this is uh what is essentially the cult of personality this is this is how people create hero worship and expect these people to be infallible and for him to say oh he's got his wife and son here you know he's he's not equating that with what his actions are going to be and what they're going to cause he's about killing the music and you know and to be immortal because of what he's done so it's just amazing as you said he goes I'm sorry for what I did, not, Mm. I know I killed John Lennon and I really wish I didn't, you know. It's just amazing how they they use the words to sort of uh, go around what they need to say, try and say at the same time, but not actually want to sort of do that full confession.
4: In 2020, Chapman was denied parole for the 11th time. He'll next be eligible to apply in August, 2022. Now moving on and four months after the murder of John Lennon, John Hinckley recorded a message lamenting the death of the Beatle. He said, one of my idols was murdered and now Jodie Foster's the only one left. Anything that I might want to do in 1981 would be solely for Jodie Foster's sake. Amanda, take us through this event relating to Jodie Foster.
0: Okay, well, as you said, it was 1981 and it was about 2.27 in the afternoon, uh, President Reagan had just been elected a couple of weeks before, um, and he was walking to his limousine and looked out across the crowd and waved to the onlookers, um, and was outside the Washington Hilton Hotel, and in the throng, Hinckley was actually sort of standing there, and then he suddenly pushes forward and towards Reagan, and he actually starts firing. So, as the first shot sort of rung out, the Secret Service was went absolutely crazy and the police and a couple of others who just happened to be there and um they sort of scrambled to get reagan out of the um area straight into the car and and, and straight out um and whilst that was happening hinckley actually shot several more times and a couple of other people were actually wounded uh, but none of the shots actually hit reagan directly there was one that actually bounced off the bulletproof limousine and struck him so people say you know he shot directly at him while well, he actually missed. Um, uh, one of them actually uh, hit one of the other secret service agents um, and one of them actually died many many years later and it was considered a homicide because it was related to this actual assassination attempt um, but uh, President Reagan was actually shoved into the car as I said and rushed off to the hospital unaware that he was so close to death um, but Hinckley was brought down really really quickly and the entire scene was over in In less than 60 seconds, it happened so fast. Okay.
4: well, strangely, the shooting was reported across news stations everywhere, as you can imagine. That's not the strange part. The strange part is we were all told a lie.
3: And shots were fired, apparently at President Reagan, as he was coming out of the Washington Hilton Hotel this afternoon. The President was not hit. He was pushed into his limousine and immediately taken away to safety. However, three persons were hit. We believe they are two Secret Service agents and the President's press secretary, James Brady.
4: So, Amanda, Reagan was shot, but not directly?
0: yeah as I said it bounced off his his uh, car if his car had just normal windows he would have probably not been hit at all it's a, it's a strange no. series of events but um what what they didn't tell news is that um, he had been struck just under his arm and it broke several ribs it punctured his lung and he was actually had massive internal bleeding like he was literally on death's door as a brand new president yeah. um, and it's interesting though uh, he was so ill that they didn't even even have a chance to invoke their you know the vice president sort of st- stands in they just sort of hushed it up because they said we can fix this and we'll just it'll be okay but so that's it's the just lie, one of those it? the lie
4: was we weren't told how serious it was for Reagan
0: no way we were told that he wasn't shot at all he's fine they just sort of went and checked him over it was a bit bit of a scare but um, he was had the hospital not been as close as it was he wouldn't have made it
4: amazing While Hinckley had written a letter to Jodie Foster just prior to the attempt, here a PBS anchorman reads it.
3: In no uncertain terms that I am doing all of this for your sake. By sacrificing my freedom and possibly my life, I hope to change your mind about me. This letter is being written an hour before I leave for the Hilton Hotel. Jodie, I'm asking you to please look into your heart and at least give me the chance with this historical deed to gain your respect and love
4: to gain your respect and love...
0: Yeah, I mean, this is how they think. So, you know, it's just a crazy warped sense of, of value and and affection. You know, he sees this as this massive grand gesture that what he's doing is just proving that he would, he would kill the most uh, powerful person in the free world just to prove his love for an actress. And she was, I think, about 19 at the time, mm. maybe even a bit younger. Um, you know, but he was willing to risk his life um, just to show her how much he was in love with her and the 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 weirdest part about all all of this is that it wasn't about Reagan he had actually made all this plan around Jimmy Carter but then Reagan was um elected president and so he changed his 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 plans to actually take on the new president so it's not about the act it's about the sacrifice he's willing to do to show Mm. that he would do anything including die for her love you know and they see this as as an act of passion the rest of us See this as an act of not a sane person.
4: Mm. Well, as you mentioned, Jodie Foster was 19 at the time, and she held a press conference where she was asked about the assassination attempt.
3: Ms. Foster, a freshman at Yale University, gave a press conference to discuss them. Uh
1: I'm not allowed to reveal any of the contents because I don't want to jeopardize the prosecution. Without that getting specific? Was he threatening? Minimalist? What was he like? I'm not allowed to say. Um, I, I believe that it's, you know, that the, the letters were assumed to have been, you know, love type letters. When did you first realize the connection between the Hinckley and the letters and the Hinckley who shot the president? Um, well, how many Hinckleys do you know? Did you contact the authorities at that point? No, I was contacted by you. Sir. How did you feel when you noticed the possible relationship? I felt very shocked, very frightened, and um, very distressed. Did you have any knowledge then that those letters were forwarded to the FBI? When was the first time you knew the FBI was involved in an investigation of the Hinckley letters? The first time I knew that the FBI was involved was when uh, somebody called me up and said, please come over and talk to the FBI. That, that, and that was also at the same moment, uh, I think maybe 10 minutes later, when I heard about the whole Reagan uh, deal. I didn't know anything about it until that point. So you cannot corroborate reports that are coming from Washington today that the FBI knew about the Hinckley letters as far back as November?
4: No, I have no, I have no knowledge at all. Geez, what a difficult position for a young lady to be put in. T- put into. It must have been horrible for to have to reconcile this that it was based around her
0: yeah it is i mean she is getting fan letters from people all the time most of them would say how much they love her i absolutely adore her and we actually share the same birthday not the same year but the same date um and so i'm i have always been a fan of jodie foster and to for them to sort of say to her you know you must have known it's it's just horrible it's not about her yes she will will feel guilt regardless because she would have got plenty of fan letters from all different people and he'd actually tried to get to her at harvard or, or, or wherever she was studying at the time and he was uh trying to uh, gain this this closer contact with her and so this was his way to sort of say well you're not coming to me so i'm going to show you who i am and so you you won't forget me you know and she would have seen these letters and had no thoughts oh he's going to go and kill a president to, to, try and impress me no one thinks that that is what's going to happen we are just seeing just a a man with with confused and crazed ideas that has um created an infatuation and seeing what happened with the lennon case he thought well i'll go one better
4: Well, Hinckley has never done an interview on camera as he was declared mentally incompetent, so we can't actually assess his words or actions. At his trial, he was sent to a mental institution for the entirety of his sentence, and on September 10, 2016, Hinckley was granted parole and was released from psychiatric care. Moving on, and Robert Bardo was 19 years old when he decided to murder the object of his desire, Rebecca Schaefer. She was the star of the sitcom My Sister Stam. By the time of her murder in July 1989, Bardo had been stalking Rebecca for more than three years. However, like other stalkers, Schaefer was not the original object of his desire. Years earlier, the man had been stalking Samantha Smith, a young peace activist, before her untimely death in a plane crash. It was soon after that that Bardo began obsessing over Schaefer. Here's what he had to say about her. She's like a very accessible,
1: horrible type of woman, very innocent, very charming and very pretty. you know. About my age, you know. There's something very special about her. I just come not help her. She became the most important
4: thing in our life. Well, it sounds lovely, Amanda. It doesn't sound like what you It sounds like someone would say when they're just interested in asking someone out, not someone they want to murder
0: yeah and this is where we see this um this is such a fascinating case and I wish that we had more on Bardo um but basically here is a man who decides that this is the object of his desire and so he started trying to uh, get close to her he sent her uh, incessant love letters he, he would turn up to um the filmings of my sister Sam he would uh, wait outside you know send flowers and teddy bears and all of this sort of stuff and she sort of said yeah thanks mate but go away and and then he was sort of uh, banned from the set and he was no longer allowed to have contact with her via there and so what he did then was he actually um sort of made sure that he found out where she was and it become an obsession the more that she sort of uh rejected his advances and and banned him from her the more that he he become obsessed and become it became an escalation to the point that he believed that if no one else uh, that if he can't have her no one else can and that's where they sort of get to that point that they uh tip over and decide that um They'd rather say these people dead than with anyone else.
4: Mm. Tell me a little bit about the murder
0: well um after he'd he'd been banned from from the the various sets and everything um she had actually done a movie and um so he had sort of started to to stalk her there and then um when he couldn't access her in any of these places um he decided to get a private detective to uh, find out where she lived and the guy did it you know he he got paid for the job and so this is why there, there was actually laws put in place after this that um you know it's basically about doxing these days but um what he did was he he got details of her car and everything and then bardo just went to the dmv whatever they call it in in the us and um just asked for the address for that car and they he turned up at her house it's it's yeah it's just so perplexing Uh,
4: answer me this if these stalkers love these people why do they want them dead why did he want her killed
0: Well, what happened was he had built up this this beautiful starlet in in his eyes. She was innocent. She was beautiful. She was pretty. And then what happened was that she actually had an explicit sex scene in a movie called The Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. Not a movie I've ever heard of. Um, And he just sort of found that that wasn't right she she's not like this Rebecca Schaefer doesn't do this she does my sister Sam and does the cutesy younger sister and all of that so this sort of um he just sort of thought well you know you you can't do this and so he turned up on her doorstep knocked on her, her door she opened it he said hi it's me Robert I'm the one who sends you everything you can't do sex scenes it's just not what you're you're about so um she sort of said yeah go away um and shut the door and he he just went next door grabbed a cup of coffee and then come back when she opened the door a second time um she sort of snapped at him a bit and he just shot her dead just just bang just done yep
4: wow it's interesting she didn't live up to the fantasy and that's why he decided to kill her um Mm -hmm. this is how bardo described the change in his relationship with rebecca have a look at this
1: during all this time, you know, like, you know, if she wasn't answering, you know, I'd get very frustrated thinking that she
4: was a sex object, of was like a bimbo for the male lead, you know. A bimbo for the male lead
0: yeah it's interesting to to see that so this is um you know he he wants her to be a star but now he's seeing that he's trying to change her and how she's perceived so you know it's about him making her powerless so she's a bimbo for the male lead so he's trying to say well that should have been me and you're my partner and I would have treated you equally um because you're not this tiny little sex kitten you're a beautiful innocent young woman who who deserves to be someone who will love you you know but it's also about him taking away her power and and control she was very much an equal person in in that scene um but he's sort of saying well no she had no power and it's just he wants her to be helpless so then he can be the knight in shining armor Mm -hmm.
4: gotcha and this is an interesting thing he wasn't only holding a gun when he shot her
0: Yes, it's interesting that he was actually holding uh, the Catcher in the Rye, which is the same book that Mark Chapman was holding when he was um, waiting to be arrested after murdering John Lennon. So it's quite yeah. amazing that it just so happens to be the same book. I mean, he he wants his own John Lennon moment, and that's how was he that thought on he'd purpose, sort of put do that full stop on it. He claims it wasn't, but um, you know we're, we're talking about a book about disillusioned teens. It's, it's. He did it on purpose. It was just that full stop in this in this production that he decided he had to carry out to show his love for Rebecca Schaefer.
4: Okay. Well, Bardo was arrested shortly afterwards and confessed to the murder. But like Hinckley, Bardo's trial would weigh in heavily on his mental state. Let's hear him describe confronting Rebecca. <laughs>
1: I you know, it's like she she's like you know, you know. I you know.
4: Oh Amanda, that smile is terrifying
0: it is and usually when we're watching uh interrogations it's in a police office and you know they're trying to sweat the the suspect to get them to talk well this is after he's already confessed he 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 sat there and said yeah it was me well actually he ran down the street but but they caught him quite quickly um but we have him now talking to his psychiatrist and just sort of going through it all so so now this is a joyous way of remembering it all you know he's saying oh she was just there and she's just beautiful there's no security guards just me and her for him it's an intimate moment for her it's a bugbear of 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 being at at the tip of her massive star rise so Mm. it's about him just you know romanticizing it so he sees all of that interaction as um the best moment of of his life
4: well he continues his analysis of the meeting uh, I wasn't
1: focusing too much attention on her. The thing that she said uh, it means that it comes to my experience, like, you know, again, you know, like she was like, I was following her and I thought, I was such an arrogant, you know, she's she's mumbling, she sounded like a little kid, you know, she sounded like a little, she had kid, like a kid voice, like, like she sounded like a little brat and so on. And I was just, you what's know, your time, you know, like, <laughs> like um, you know, I mean, I thought that was very challenging, too.
4: Okay, that just seems so rambling. Repeated sentences, basically, a word salad.
0: It was, basically. um, I actually put the uh, subtitles on that to try and work out what it said and had no luck. Uh, At at the court trial, they actually had um, a transcript of it and the um, psychiatrist in in the room, Park Dietz, actually said, I think this is what he said because I'm not quite sure because it really was just a word salad. But it's so rambling, you know, he he drops the smile um, and, you know, he's, he's... pretending that that she's childlike as I said before he wants to see her as this powerless tiny chicken sort of thing that that he needs to protect you know and so now he's seeing uh, that she has done these sex scenes and and it's like a red rag to a bull he was just all over that and he was so angry with her for going away from that beautiful um, actress in in my sister Sam to these sex scenes and so he's, he's dropping the smile because this is him actually being angry at her for her having her own career and doing what she wants and he he just didn't like it and so that's Mm -hmm. why this was the final catalyst you know that she was annoyed that he kept turning up and he's annoyed at her um and he just expects this to be a quarrel between two people in love but it's not it's a it's a crazed fan who is in a sort of manic state that is is beyond his his own comprehension and he's going up against the object of his his desire all of those confused um thoughts just sort of Jumbled together, and how he would have been thinking while he's standing there waiting to shoot her is exactly how he, he was talking in, in that last piece. Mm.
4: You mentioned it was a catalyst, and it was a catalyst. He next describes how he killed her. And look, obviously, you can guess what we're talking about. This is quite graphic, so we just want to warn you before we play the clip.
1: The granny door. The <laughs> granny door. Oh, me there. Grab your grab grab on the chair. No. With this, uh, the blood her here left, squirted up, and she she was just screaming, I heard thing, <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I killed she, she, she felt like she thought she was listening, she's you know, constantly doing it. She had to go, she, she was going, Why? And I was looking at oh my god, I killed someone. Oh no, I did oh no, you no, know, oh, I can't no, I couldn't pull back the back I just did you know. And she was, uh, she was going Why? Why are she was screaming she's just
4: why? Why? Manda this is so very different to other confessions we've done on this podcast.
0: It is, and like we saw with Chapman too, though it was slightly more subdued, um, there's all these theatrics, you know, he's saying that she was screaming why, why over and over again, he kept repeating it over and over again. And he's saying what he saw and he's sort of like doing the um, trajectory of, of the gun, from from uh, the, the trajectory of the bullet from the gun to the, the woman's chest and he's just sort of going over and over and over and he's just, he's there. there there's a grim satisfaction to it and an interesting part, is that um, he, he's actually being interviewed by Park Dietz, as I said. Now, Park Dietz believed that um, Bardo was a schizophrenic and this is why he had sort of trouble deciding what was right and wrong and um, that he couldn't be held accountable for his his um, actions. And yet the same psychiatrist was actually at the um, Hinckley trial and said because the man was schizophrenic, this is what led him to attack the president, it's amazing that the same expert said the same opposite, the same thing, but opposite for two different trials about the mm. exact same thing. Um, so it's quite interesting that that I found that because I, I, I'm, I'm aware of Park Deat's work, as he um, he also worked with people like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer later on. So it's interesting that he believes that schizophrenia is a catalyst for things like this, and also the reason that people can't do these sorts of things. Um, mm. So yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just strange that this. Someone can have two uh, opposing thoughts about the same disease when it comes to murder.
4: Although maybe basing it on the actions, which is actually quite good, taking the individual case into account perhaps
0: they both did the same thing so
4: (laughs) all right i tried i tried to be informed (laughs) um well the judge in bardo's only trial found bardo guilty of murder and he was sentenced to life without parole he is now 51 and remains in prison in arizona amanda thank you for bringing this case to us it really has been quite fascinating
0: Well, it set me down a bit of a rabbit hole, and as you know, there is another case along these lines that we're going to do as a single episode Mm -hmm. as well. We might end up being a whole season with the amount of um, footage we have, but uh, uh, we do have a couple more in in these stalker cases that I think are just fascinating to look at. So Mm. we're we're sort of going beyond our serial killers, so um, this is our first one on stalkers, but... We've got lots more to come.
4: (laughs) Indeed. And if you want to watch these cases, just go to mwm.uscreen.io. That's mwm.uscreen.io. We'd love you to be able to see the production we're putting into these episodes. I think it really is an enhancement to the audio podcast, Amanda. So hopefully people enjoyed both versions.
0: I hope so too and I'm really trying to stop you using my hands while I talk but um, I can't help it so (laughs) please forgive me. But I am loving these and I love our new backgrounds and I can't wait to see what new bits we add in next week.
4: Indeed, it's an evolving thing. We'll see you next time on Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.